less of us. And that is one of the key parts of prayer is we create space for Him to kind of replace the stuff in us that doesn't belong, the attitudes, the thoughts, the burdens, the fears, the worries. Replaces them with hope, with love, with reassurance, with promise. Let's go to Him today, desiring more of Him this morning as a faith family. Let's pray together. Lord, take everything doesn't belong. Everything, Lord, in our hearts and our minds, our lives, our spirits in this moment, they're not of you. Create space, Lord, for your spirit. When we ask you, Lord, to fill us up, it's, it's not that you don't desire the same thing. It's that often we ask it while at the same time clinging to the stuff in our life that weigh us down. Perhaps even right now, there's been some things this week that we've gravitated towards, that we've allowed to creep in, that we've just held on to. Pray, Father, that you would step in, that your spirit would come in this place right now, and you would invite us to something new, something fresh, something life-giving, something more. Pray, Lord, for those that come today heavy. Maybe not feeling very well. There's a lot of uh, illness going around. I pray, Lord, for those that are coming tired, weary, uncertain. For those, Lord, this week that have had to write the date and they've wrote, written 2023, even though it's a new year. We're kind of clinging to the old. And you offer us something new. Pray, Father, you just remind us we don't have to hold on to the things that weigh us down. We're ready to take them, to receive them, to do something with them that we never could, to turn our rags, our ashes into something beautiful. But you can only do that, Lord, when we give up everything, when we trust in you, when we want more of you. And Father, we ask that you would do that today among us. Lift up the one who, Lord, is having trouble standing on their own. Be with the discouraged and the lonely. Be with the one, Father, who is grieving and just is just suffering and, and dealing with this, this loss in their life. I pray, Father, for the ones that are sick or for physical touch. Or I pray, Father, Lord, for the ones that have spiritually drifted. They would hear your voice. They would take a step backwards towards you. I pray, Father, for the marriages, the relationships, for our children friendships, Lord, those that might need reconciliation, Father, that you would step in today, that we would start this new year together, wanting more of you. Have your way among us this morning. We open up your word, show us something new. As we continue to talk about the covenant, what it means, what it is you're offering to us, may we not take it for granted, may we not take it lightly. It is life-changing. 
Lord, together. We're here in your house this morning. We're watching, Lord, online. And we've gathered together the faith family through different means. I pray, Father, we wouldn't miss the object of our worship. Presence of our Heavenly Father. Holy Spirit, as he moves among us or as he speaks to us and draws us close through the blood of your Son, Jesus, offering us relationship, forgiveness, covenant. In Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen. Thank you. We are glad you've chosen to begin your new year worshiping together and excited to see what God has for us in the days ahead. And it's our, wow, I guess if you look at calendars, this will be our third uh, overlapping year with you. We're not quite to two years yet, but 2022, we shared part of that year with you, all of 23 together, and now we're starting a new year together as well. Looking forward to that. Uh, I do have a personal request as we kind of begin this year, and my son, he'll hate me for this, but that's okay. I'm as a dad. We kind of bear those burdens from our kids once in a while. Uh, but next weekend, uh, I'd ask you to just pray for our son, Sean. Uh, Sean is, it will be uh, shipping out to Iraq for a period of time as a part of his National Guard service. And he's kind of excited about that, and his mother and I not so much, but uh, so you wouldn't mind keeping him in your prayers these next, uh, they say 400 days. I've been told it doesn't last that long, but it could be up to that. And uh, pray for him, for his safety. Pray for his spirit, his heart. God guard that as well. And pray for his mother, because uh, uh, she, she worries that impacts me too. So, you know, I'm selfishly asking for you to pray for all of us. And uh, I want to thank you for already doing that. But that's, that's a big deal. Proud of him and excited for his service and what he's going to experience. But at the same time, it's not like I can get in a car and drive a couple hours and help him out if he needs me. Uh, a little bit more challenging. And many of you know exactly what that's like as you are living that same reality now. So, that's just a way for us to, to involve you in our lives so you kind of get an idea of what it is we're dealing with. And uh, again, we're going to celebrate that and at the same time ask you to pray alongside us for him. So uh, hopefully last week you found yourself with some new ideas and understanding of uh, new questions perhaps of this idea of covenant, uh, this, this new thing that God offers, continues to offer to us. And we talked about how the Bible is about ultimately two things. It's about covenant, it's about kingdom. We're invited to be part of the kingdom of God, and that's only possible through the covenant that God enters into with us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we, we can express the idea of covenant and kingdom in multiple ways, relationship and responsibility, or being a Christian and, and doing the work of the Lord. Uh, there's different expressions of covenant and kingdom that we could talk about. But we were created ultimately, the, the, the bottom line is we're created to be in relationship with God. It's in our blood. Ecclesiastes, we read the words of Solomon, there's a tiny bit of heaven placed inside of our hearts. It's part of our DNA, if you will, our makeup. There's something in us that yearns for connection, for, for the spiritual fulfillment. And that's a part of, the, of, of heaven, a part of our creator that God put in there. It draws us back to him. We always have questions. We're always wanting to know what the answers are. We're trying to connect the dots. That's God trying to reconnect us to himself. When we become aware of that need, of that desire, then all of a sudden something changes in our life. And when, we, when that moment happens, when we become aware of it, we continuously try to get back, if you will, to the Garden of Eden. We want to get back to that perfect experience, that perfect uh, creation. And in, the, in between of the searching, there's this void in our lives. We fill that void with many different things. 
I mean, many different areas, different aspects of, of, of culture that tries to, to gain our attention. And we try to fill it with people or with, with employment or with jobs or with things. And all of those things, while they could be good in their own way, always fall short of filling the void. It's a God-shaped puzzle piece. And he's the only one who can fill it. And to help us understand this idea, we turn to the life of a man named Abram. We read about in the book of Genesis and how Abram was living in a lawless society, one without rules or authority, no one to turn to for help except for your neighbor. It was a culture in which you depended upon others for your security and for safety, for well-being. And, and it was found in this idea of family and having big families and having tribes around you, if you will. But even that at times was not big enough. So you entered into agreements, if you will, with others for protection. And we call these agreements covenants. It was a culture where children were seen as a sign of prestige because it helped your family grow. But it was also a culture where child sacrifice was not uncommon. We'll talk more about that today in our, in our study in the book of Genesis. And one day, Abram hears a voice from God telling him to go. And Abram curiously listens and obeys. I point back to that thing that God put inside of his heart. That they caused him to be curious, that caused him to desire more, to follow God wherever he would lead him. In Genesis chapter 12, God makes a promise to Abram, yet this promise goes unfulfilled in Abram's life for many years. It's not immediately noticeable. So Abram begins to find himself questioning God. Have you ever questioned God? You ever asked God, why is this happening to me? You ever asked God, where are you at? Why, why is this going on? Lord, when are you going to step in and stop this? There are times in our lives where we also question God. And God's response to Abram can be encouraging to us. He still responds to his people yet today. To respond to Abram's question, God uses an already common practice. One that we discussed last week that was used in this broken culture as a means of redemption, of resetting, if you will, his relationship with his creation. God used covenant. It wasn't an idea necessarily that God came up with, but God used it because it was already well known to Abram and those in Abram's life. The word covenant is taken from the root word that means to cut. At its basic level, a covenant is a binding agreement with defined boundaries and expectations, promises, and even consequences for breaking it. It comes with blessings and it comes with expectations. Covenant cuts out what separates and reconnects and restores us to our covenant partner. Ultimately, this describes God's relationship with you and with me. God uses this unique, culturally relevant understanding and experience to, to, to define his interaction with each one of us. In our lives today, God is the one who initiates the covenant. God participates in the covenant. God is committed to the covenant. Covenants were then a matter of survival. In church, I believe today covenants are still a matter of of survival. We need them. We need the one that God offers to us most of all. Excuse me. In Genesis 15, we, we then see this experience that Abram has with God, where he has a dream, if you will. He goes to sleep, having conversation, and God invites Abram uh, to give Abram one of the answers. Abram wants to know, well, God, how can I know that you'll do what you say you promised to do? God says, well, go get a goat, go get a heifer, go get some birds, and go get some goats, and I want you to bring them here, we're going to cut them in half, and we're going to just lay the halves on separate sides, and we're going to create a mess. And the mess that God ultimately has Abram create is called the blood walk. 
And this blood walk, then God goes between, as Abram goes into this deep sleep, in essence, God himself walks between the pieces. God performs the blood walk. God takes the initiative to restore oneness with Abram. See, our creator shows us in this very obscure, perhaps confusing chapter in Genesis that our identity is found in covenant. It's always found in covenant. And whether we realize it or not, every day we walk in covenant with someone, with something. And I hope and pray that it's with God. If it's not with God, then I pray that we would be open to the idea that we'd ask and we'd wonder, what is it that we're in covenant with? If it's not him, then who? If it's not with God, then what are we allowing to create the boundaries in our lives? What path do we walk down willingly? God wants us to choose him. That's where we find our hope. That's where we find new life. That's where we find fulfillment. Only in him, through the blood of Christ. Perhaps you've forgotten what this idea of covenant feels like. Perhaps you've drifted. And and if, if you find yourself in that place today, there's good news to be had because God desires to be one with us again. The promises God made to Abraham... Even though there was a delay, he makes to us. And Abraham had to wait, and perhaps you find yourself waiting. You're waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises in your life. You need to be reminded of the covenant God's made with us, perhaps us with him at one certain time. Maybe in the waiting, you decided you've waited long enough. You decided to take things into your own hands, try to fix things on your own. I've been there. I can attest that usually doesn't end very well. Yet, even when I fail, God's still there waiting for me. So now that we've been reminded of what covenant is, and the steps involved, we can more readily recognize covenant language in Scripture. Covenant is everywhere. And, and, and it's covenant language that I really love discovering. I, I love seeing it in God's Word, because it always reminds me that He has this plan that He's continuously working out all throughout Scripture. In Genesis chapter 21, we, we, we now read uh, this story of uh, we begin to see God fulfill the promise that he's given to Abram. Now, part of the promise was that he would be father over many nations, that he would have children of his own. Children were a big sign of prestige, but yet he did not have any children with his wife, Sarah, or Sarai, at the time. We read in verse chapter 21 that the Lord was gracious to Sarah. And as he had said, the Lord did for Sarah what he promised. Sarah became pregnant. Now, this had become a, a source of laughter, if you will, because Sarah was pretty old. She's about 90 years old. Any takers today? No, I didn't think so. There's times I feel like I'm that old when I'm with my children. So Sarah became pregnant and gave birth to son to Abram in his old age, the very time God had promised. Abraham gave him the name Isaac. Isaac means to laugh. He laughed. Constant reminder of Abram's unwillingness necessarily to believe in God's promise even when God said it would come true. See, the name Isaac, every day he would see his son, he'd be reminded that God fulfilled and kept his word. So he has a son named Isaac. Sarah in verse 6, God, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. She so had in verse 7, who would have said Abraham and Sarah that, they should, that Sarah would nurse children, yet I've borne him a son in his old age. And this is a very beautiful moment in their life. They begin to see God at work in a very powerful way. And just as we have seasons in our life where we question God's timing, there's also moments where we see God at work. And we grab hold of those moments. And those moments add to our story, add to our testimonies. If you keep reading through Genesis chapter 21, 
there, there comes a time when Abimelech and, and Thakol, the commander of the forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. They now come to Abraham. They see he's got God's favor upon his life. They want to enter an agreement with him. If you see God doing good things in the lives of others, you should be drawn to that. You should want to know what's going on. What are they doing right? So these two outsiders see what's going on in Abram's life. They see good things happening. They want to be part of that. So they go to Abram and says, we'd like to enter into a covenant with you. We would like to experience the same thing you're experiencing. That's how covenant works. When we're walking with God, we then become a blessing to others that help others want to know more about what God is doing. Abraham's becoming this evangelist without even knowing it, just living life within the covenant that God offers to him. So in verse 27, so Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech. The two made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what's the meaning of these seven ewe lambs? To which Abraham replied, accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I've dug this well. They enter this agreement. They're going to share water rights. They're going to, they're going to share in this, this life together. And Abraham does something unique, curious, scripturally profound and beautiful. Verse 32 after the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called upon the name of the Lord and the eternal God. Abraham planted a tree. You ever plant a tree? A, a tree in memory or in honor of something? A, a tree that re would remind you of something? A tree that would help you remember Excuse me. Abraham plants this tree next to this well as a reminder of this agreement that he's made, but also as a reminder, a visual reminder, of how God continues to keep his promises in his life. This tree, a tamarisk tree, it's a type of palm tree. If you, don't have, you perhaps don't have a palm tree in your yard, maybe you do. If you do, man, you're really good, much better at gardening than I am. But in the Old Testament, a palm branch, if you will, was seen as a symbol of victory. And it's a foreshadowing, if you will, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, where the people celebrated by waving and laying on the ground palm branches, waving perhaps branches of tamarisk trees, claiming the victory that Jesus has arrived. We begin to see this connection <coughs> excuse me, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, this victory that God's offering, the victory in this moment that Abraham is claiming. Maybe you've given a tree as a gift or planted a tree in memory of someone, now, you, you have this reminder when you see it grow, when you see the leaves pop or the flowers begin to bloom or the fruit come off the tree. In the Old Testament, in this moment, the tree is a reminder of covenant, of an agreement. And trees are an important part of our learning for us today. Let's step back, if we can, for just a few moments to Genesis chapter 2. Adam and Eve in this wonderful, indescribable garden. They were given free reign, if you will. They could go do anything they wanted except they're given two rules. Don't touch the trees in the middle. The two trees in the middle. Out of all the trees, you can touch them all, you can eat of them all, but don't eat of these two trees. Many ter interpretations have been offered about the tree of life or the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but at its core, uh, the, the, the trees represented the very presence of God, the, the personhood of God, of who God was. And what God wanted them to do is you, you can have access to everything, but I'm to be the middle of your life. I'm to be the very center. Adam and Eve were in covenant with God. And the tree was a reminder of his place in their lives. 
the temptation that they experienced, that, that, that Satan brought to them, and their subsequent disobedience ultimately reveal humanity's innate desire to sidestep God and determine for ourselves what is best, what is right, and what is good. Can I repeat that for a moment? What Adam and Eve did in the garden, it's just a foreshadowing, it's just an example of all of mankind's desire to sidestep God's authority, decide for themselves what is best, what is right, and what is good. That's the source of all sin, is we want to decide what's best. We want to decide what's right. We want to choose and decide what's good. That's the whole presence of, of, of sin in our life today, in our culture today, is people wanting to choose for themselves what's okay, what's acceptable, what's right, what's best, and what's ultimately good. It's never meant to be that way. God gives us clear definitions. He gives us boundaries, not to punish us, but to protect us. We have guardrails in life to keep us on the road so that we don't drive off them. The guardrails God gives us is to keep us on the right Adam and Eve decided they wanted to buy into the temptation that Satan had presented to them. And they decided to put themselves in the middle of their lives, incessance replacing God. This battle's been fought continuously as a result of mankind's wanting to be like God ever since. As we discussed last week, the tragedy in this battle is that Adam and Eve were already like God, created in the very image of God invited to walk with God. And as they sinned and chose for themselves, they broke a covenant and they were consequently expelled from the garden. We often think that it was punishment that led them outside the garden. And in a sense it was, but if we read a little bit further in Genesis chapter 3, verse 22, we see what God's really doing and by expelling them from the garden. He's protecting them yet again. The Lord God said in verse 22, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Not that God wants to keep us from that, but rather he's protecting us from that, to live life forever. The idea of what it looks like to be able to choose to know good and evil. We may think on the surface that sounds like a good thing, but the responsibility that would come with such knowledge would be overwhelming to us who are not God. Only God himself can bear that burden. It's too heavy for us. So Adam and Eve, as a result of their choices, choosing to take from the tree that they've been instructed not to touch, were expelled from the garden. Taken away from the tree, the tree that they needed most of all. But there is good news, church. If we turn all the way back to the back of the Bible in Revelation chapter 22, we see another story. A return, if you will, to the garden. Verses 2 and 3, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, and no longer will there be any curse. We see in Genesis they were expelled from the garden for choosing poorly. In Revelation, we see now that we're invited back into the presence of God. So what happens between Genesis and Revelation? It's in between where we discover and we share the what the hope, the truth, and the covenant we have with God through Jesus Christ. The story centers around two more trees. Abram finally begins to show, um, <clears throat> sorry, God finally begins to show Abram how he keeps his promises. 
Uh, as we talk about the birth of Isaac, we begin to see things happen in Abram's life. And then we get to Genesis chapter 22, and God asks the unthinkable. Perhaps God has asked you at times some things that just seem so far out there. Lord, you can't possibly mean what I think it is you're meaning. You can't possibly be asking me to do what it is you're asking me to do. This does not make any sense. But Abram gets this request from God. And then kind of just imagine the questions. Verse 1, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and Abraham replies, here I am. Verse 2, God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountains I'll tell you about. Give back to me which I've given to you. Give back to me what you view as the fulfilled promise in your life. Let me have it. Now, that sounds pretty barbaric to us. But remember, this is a culture where this was not uncommon. As, as harsh as that might sound, this was a request that, that perhaps Abraham knows of people in his life have done this. So here, God's asking Abraham to sacrifice the son that God's given to him. And I'm sure Abraham is thinking, but Lord, what about, how will you, but I thought this was, Curiously, Abraham obeys. <laughs> and he obeys without much hesitation. Verse 3, early the next morning, the next day, he got up, saddled his donkey, took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When they'd cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, not miss the language we see in Genesis 22, Abraham looked up and saw the place in distance, said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac. He himself carried the fire and the knife. Now Isaac kind of wises up. Dad, we're forgetting something. We're going up for a sacrifice. We've got the wood. We've got the knife. We've got the fire. <laughs> Where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? Verse 8, Abraham answered, How prophetic are these words? God himself will provide the lamb for the offering, my son. They continue to go to climb the mountain, and they get to the place where God had told them about. Abraham builds an altar there, and he ranges the wood on it. <laughs> then he surprises Isaac, I'm sure, bound his son and lay him on the altar on top of the wood. Imagine this moment. Bounds his son, lays him on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, took the knife, and to slay his son. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to harm him. Now I know that you fear God, because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. He was this close. But he had to be that close. God had to be sure. God's going to do his part. God's going to fulfill his promises. God's going to keep his covenant. But, but how, if Abraham asked last week, Lord, how can I know? This is God asking Abraham, Abraham, how can I know you're going to keep your covenant? Are you willing to give to me that thing in your life that you hold most valuable, that you hold so close? What is it in your life that you're holding on to? God, you can have everything else, but don't ask me for this. Don't ask me to do this. Don't ask me to give up this. Don't ask me to go here. About 13 years ago, when I had just moved to West Virginia, our, our church had an opportunity to host district assembly. And 
pretty big experience and ordeal. And uh, on the first day of assembly, I had an opportunity. I was invited as, a, as the host pastor to kind of give greetings and to welcome everyone to Weirton, West Virginia. And we had our, our brand new general superintendent, uh, Dr. Eugenio Duarte, who was from Africa. And as I was introducing myself and inviting everyone to enjoy having a great assembly, tell them about the, the wonderful things about West Virginia. I, I shared you know, how a year earlier God had um, called my wife and I to, to, to uh, come back home for me. Uh, but it also told a story how back in 1999, when Amy and I were struggling with this call to ministry, we, we were honestly most af- afraid of where God might send us. And we jokingly prayed then that God will, will say yes, but just don't send us to Africa, which Dr. Duarte smiled and said, and God in his great sense of humor instead sent us to West Virginia. And I'm not sure my wife would have, might not have preferred Africa. I'm not sure, sure after that. But are we willing to give up those things in our life that God might want us to do? What is it we're holding on to so dearly that's getting in the way of our covenant walk with him? For Abraham, that thing was his son. God asked the unthinkable, but Abraham obeys. But let's not not miss something we see in this passage. In verses 3, 6, 7, and 9 of Genesis 22, we continue to see Abraham and we see in the, the writer of, of Genesis 21 talk about the wood. Why is the wood so important? I mean, I, we, we read that they cut the wood before they began to travel. We read how, how Abraham put the wood on Isaac's shoulder so Isaac could carry the wood up the mountain. We read how Abraham assembled the wood for the burnt offering. The wood doesn't seem to me to be that big of a deal. Why is it a major player in this story? We have to go back to the garden. And the tree that they chose to take from. And what we learn as we learn and study God's word is that the Hebrew word used for wood is the same Hebrew word used for tree. See, we see the tree continue to become a part of the story, to be part of the story. And in Genesis 21, Abraham had just planted a tamarisk tree. Now we see the tree continuing to go with Isaac with Abraham to this mountain for the sacrifice. We see Isaac carry the tree up the mountain. Where's the lamb, Father? And what we see, if we look close enough, is this image, talking about in just a few moments, that we see in the New Testament. But now Abraham raises his hand, ready to, to plunge the knife into his son, and God says, stop. Now I know you're going to honor our covenant. Now I know there's nothing you'll hold back from me. Turn around, Abram, and there's a ram in the thicket, and God does provide a sacrifice necessary in this moment for the covenant. And then God explains again in verses 17 and 18 what he's promised. I'll surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. Through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have loved me. This is a foretelling of Jesus that we see fulfilled just days after his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The people are waylaying the tamarisk branches on the ground before Jesus. He marches in on the back of a donkey just before Jesus is betrayed and arrested and tried and beaten. Just before Jesus himself carries a tree up the hill to be the lamb that God provides. We look close enough, we see covenant language from Genesis all the way into the New Testament. It's a beautiful story. And when you connect the dots, it's like, 
You see God at work in some powerful and beautiful ways. God finally answers Abraham. Since you've honored our covenant by giving your only son, I will honor our covenant by giving my only son. You're right, Abraham. I will provide the lamb for the sacrifice. So Jesus carried a tree, his cross, up a hill and was crucified on Calvary's tree. If you look in the New Testament, we, we see the word tree used in replace of the word cross several times. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, in the New King James Version, who he who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. Acts chapter 5, verse 30, in the New King James, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Galatians 3, verse 13, New American Standard Version, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. Scripture clearly defines and references the cross of Calvary as a tree, the tree in the Garden of Eden, the tree of Calvary, bookend in between the complete gospel story from the fall of man to God's provision for us and the lamb who would carry his own tree. Trees are an important part of the story. The wood in Abraham's account matters. Because we find through trees, of all things, the possibility of oneness. Because it's the blood on a tree that brings us salvation. Not because of anything that we've done, but because God honors the covenants that he enters into. The trees are a reminder that God is going to always do what he promises us he will do. There might be a delay doesn't always happen in our timing. But church, God never fails. The tree's been planted. Covenant agreement between God and Abraham can become a covenant agreement between God and us. That even in his questions, even in his uncertainty, even in his disbelief of what God was asking him to do, Abram believed. He believed. Take a look at the moment, right before Abram and Isaac ascend the mountain. Go back to Genesis chapter 22, verse 5. You've probably read right over it, just like I did many times. Let's not miss this statement of faith that Abraham makes. In verse 5, he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abram knew. He trusted God fully. God's promised me this. This does not make any sense, but I'm going to do it anyway, and I'm going to trust him. It's going to be okay. Maybe God does call you to go somewhere else and different, but it's going to be okay. Maybe God does call you to give up something that you hold very close and dear, but it's going to be all right. Maybe God's calling you to do something that you are afraid of doing, but if we trust him, we will worship and then we will come back to you. God's going to make everything all right. That's what he does. When we're in covenant relationship with him, we can trust him. But the letting go is so hard. I understand. I get it. But the holding on to, it's so much more dangerous. Abram believed and trusted God even though he may not have understood how. The question before us this morning, are we willing to give up who we are, what we have a hold of, who, do, who we dream of becoming, 
to become ultimately who God wants us to be? To let go of our unanswered questions? Are we willing to wait? Sometimes the waiting is the hardest. Perhaps this morning we need to plant a tree, be reminded of God's faithfulness, to be reminded today, church, of what God is offering to us. The, the blood path's been prepared. God has walked it. Christ has walked it, and he offers us covenant. He offers us salvation. He offers restoration. He offers us oneness. I'm Brian. In a covenant with him, I'm a child of God. He's the God of Brian. He can be your God today. He can be your heavenly father through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He's inviting us into covenant relationship with him. And perhaps today, we need to stop taking the fruit off the tree and just decide to plant one. Be reminded of what he offers to us. Be reminded he's there for you. And God will always keep his promises. It's a good way to start a new year, isn't it? Reminded of the promises of God, to know that he's going to keep them. What might God want and be asking of you this morning? If you want more of him, it often requires less of us. I invite you to stand with me. And I know there's probably a lot of things swirling in your minds and hearts and spirits. At least I hope that there is. The Spirit works among us. What might he want you to let go of today? Start the year off right. Get rid of anything that's getting in the way. If you walk in the walk with him, trust him. He won't disappoint you. Father, we love you. But I pray today there's just more than words. We'd back it up by our actions, by the letting go of the things in our life that are most dear to us, that are in the way, Lord, of our understanding, of our participating in covenant with you. I pray, Father, we would recognize that you are a God that we can trust. You're a God, Lord, who will not disappoint. While we might have to wait longer, Lord, than we like, we know that you know best. So, Father, I pray that your spirit would faithfully reveal to us those things that maybe we might need to let go of. Lord, you would point out those things in our life that are getting in the way. Those things, Father, that are preventing us, Lord, from experiencing covenant with you. And we dig a little deeper in your word this week. Curious, Lord, to see what else might be in there that we're missing. What we see in Genesis 21 and 22 it just seems to be about a man who followed you into the wilderness to a land you'd promised him. But it's a foretelling, Lord, of this plant you had through your son, Jesus Christ, to restore us in the relationship with you. Abraham would have had to wait a long time to see the fulfillment of that story. But he chose to trust you from the very beginning. Help us to trust in the waiting. Help us, Lord, to trust in the unanswered questions. Help us to trust, Lord, even when you don't make sense. Lord, what a story that is that we get to tell, that you reveal, and live out in our lives. May we hold nothing back. May we desire more of you. All for your glory, Father. Grow your kingdom. Draw your people close. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great 2024. God's just getting started. Have a great day.